Support for this program is provided by Chevron. Demand for energy is projected to continue rising in the future. To help keep up, Chevron is increasing their U.S. oil and gas production, and they're innovating to help do it responsibly across their operations, including their Gulf of Mexico facilities, which are some of the world's lowest carbon intensity operations, helping supply energy that's affordable, reliable, and ever cleaner. That's energy in progress. Learn more at chevron.com slash meeting demand. At Morgan Stanley, old school hard work meets bold new thinking. At 88 years old, we still see the world with the wonder of new eyes, helping you discover untapped possibilities and relentlessly working with you to make them real. Old School Grit, New World Ideas, Morgan Stanley. To learn more, visit morganstanley.com slash why us. Investing involves risk. Morgan Stanley Smith Barney, LLC. My mission is simple, to make you money. I'm here to level the playing field for all investors. There's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise to help you find it. Mad Money starts now. I'm Kramer. Welcome to Mad Money. Welcome to Kramer. Other people make friends. I'm just trying to save you some money. My job is not just to entertain and educate, but to put days, ugly days like today, in context for you. So call me at 1-800-743-CBC or tweet me at Jim Kramer. We call it a crescendo. That's when all the selling comes to a head, like a discordant ah, symphony. And the instruments crash to a beautiful conclusion. After an ugly day where the Dow lost 308 points, the S&P dropped 0.76%, and the Nasdaq tumbled 1.12%, I want to talk to you about the last big crescendo, the one that we got exactly one year ago today. And that's when a tsunami of selling wiped out the weak hands and the market bottomed, except on like a symphony. Many of us didn't realize it was happening. It's like we were all wearing earplugs, except some of the younger investors who rushed in when the big shots were rushing out. They'll like the fact that Robinhood seemed to file for a confidential IPO tonight. Now, since then, since last year, we have had a huge run. But now the market's selling off again. So I think it's important to review what happened last time as it's getting pretty darn ugly pretty fast out there. First, I have to give a nod to the late Mark Haynes, the man who ruled Squawk Box and Squawk on the Street for so many years. He's the one who called the bottom in March of 2009. He loved looking at ratios to spot the crescendo, and he nailed that one when the sellers overwhelmed buyers on a 9-to-1 ratio. To him, that kind of extreme selling meant that everyone was giving up at once. That's textbook bottom behavior. Me, I like to see how many stocks have become what I call AHYs accidentally high yielders, meaning the share price has fallen so fast and gone so low that once meager dividends suddenly become much, much larger yielders. I wish I could say our indicators work, but last year's bottom was very sneaky. While the averages hit their lows on the 23rd, the actual crescendo occurred a few days earlier on the 19th. And that's when there were 79 companies in the S&P 500 that had declined 50% and now sported 5% yields. Wow. 119 stocks were down 40% with a 4% yield. What a field day. But the worst overall for the averages was yet to come. The ultimate bottom one year ago went, uh, was when the Dow sank to 18,213. Now, that's down more than 11,000 points from the peak. And it looks very different from what we're talking about. I mean, this is amazing because this happened so fast. It was the fastest that we've seen, even faster in some ways than the Great Depression. 
even though it was hideous, it was a ball of confusion when we got down here because many stocks internally had already started to rebound. They just weren't important enough to prop up the averages. These rebounding stocks went on to become the biggest leaders of the market. The COVID beneficiaries were part of what many started calling the great reshuffling. That's a term I first heard on a Zillow conference call, a great one, where they were talking about an urban exodus that led tons of people to buy homes in the suburbs or in the country because they could get away with working remotely. Those stocks started going up even as the market was going down. Now, the market had been falling for a full month. And that's what I'm showing here before March 23rd. OK, the Dow didn't hit terra firma until it had fallen 11,000 points from its February high. That's 11,000 points. While Wall Street was complicit in this crescendo of selling right here with a host of downgrades and give ups at the absolute low, it wasn't wholly responsible for the decline. That would be unfair. Sure, you had notable downgrades like this. Just to give you a sample. That day, Wells Fargo I took Carnival from hold to sell, and that was at the bottom. It cut its price target from fifty-three bucks, dream on, to six bucks because the cruise lines were at the epicenter of the public health crisis, and Carnival, in particular, was desperate for liquidity. It was ultimately saved. There were downgrades everywhere in travel and leisure. Big cap tech stocks took it on the chin but mostly because top-down strategists cut their overall numbers for the S&P. And tech's such a huge part of the S&P, well, it, it hurt all of them. I mean, Apple's market cap dropped below $1 trillion. You know, it's now worth more than $2 trillion. Oh, it was a real ugly session, that bottom. However, if you want to point the finger... The real blame lies with Washington, specifically the total lack of leadership in Washington. That, and not Wall Street research, is what caused the crescendo. Congress is working on a gigantic relief package meant to tide us over until we found a way to beat COVID-19. But the night before, the bill seemed to stall in the Senate. The Democrats and Republicans just couldn't reach a deal, despite the chaos all around them. It felt like the catatonic days of 2008. Congress seemed incapable of recognizing its own impact on the economy or the stock market. Oh, the bill had looked indeed right here like a sure thing. But then it got snagged on some procedural nonsense, and then Wall Street completely freaked out right there. Even though the whole thing seemed like theater, frankly, exactly the kind of theater we saw in 2008 when TARP failed to pass the first time around, investors were once again faked out. The Dow plummeted 800 points from the day before. And while Treasury Secretary Mnuchin tried to calm the market by saying Congress was very close to a deal, the markets were not appeased. The economy needed help, and it needed help fast. Now, we, we knew we'd get some kind of stimulus eventually, but we didn't know the timeline anymore. And that made the delays so terrifying that you got this. Ironically, Mnuchin was right. Not only were they close, the bill went on to pass the Senate unanimously. However, it took a crashing stock market and a horrific weekly jobless claims number. In many ways, that was the most important thing. It was the worst on record, $3.28 million to get everybody on board. After they passed the $2 trillion aid package, the averages began their long climb from the abyss. And you know what? Until, until today, he's felt like it's still going to climb. Now, but even when we bottomed, many investors refused to believe it. Unlike the Haynes bottom in 2009, you couldn't see this one through the prism of up and down ratios. What made it so confusing? Like I said before, there were a whole group of stocks that had bottomed a few weeks before because they were actually 
benefiting from the pandemic. By the time the averages turn around, these COVID plays have been going up for weeks. And there, I want you to think of the stay-at-home plays. Remember how exciting Zoom was, DocuSign, Etsy, still going strong, Shopify. Think about the payment plays like PayPal, Square, and the like. They were already gaining adherence, even as the broader economy was still getting crushed by the lockdowns. These stocks were the key components of what we call the Kramer COVID index because they were doing great before March 23rd. Remember, this is when they started gathering steam. Now, they did come into the downturn doing well, but wow. And then they just got better and better. But that meant there was no uniformity to the sell-off, and it threw a lot of people off the scent. It was a changing of the guard moment, and you had to be nimble enough to realize the money was going out of the losers and into the new winners, even as the averages made it look like everything was going down. Turns out there were a lot of winners. Unlike a typical downturn, vast swaths of the U.S. economy thrived during the pandemic as Americans adjusted en masse to work at at home. The primacy of the central office ended right here, and the Zoom ecosystem took hold, something that is still with us even as we're getting vaccinated at record levels. The moral of the story, a year ago, you got a bottom on Washington stumbled and Wall Street panicked about the prospect of a much-needed aid package, thought it would be scrapped. If you panicked on that day, you blew it because it should have been obvious that a huge stimulus bill was inevitable. Our leaders had no choice but to reach a compromise, which is exactly what they did three days later. The darkest moment really did, really did come before the dawn. You just had to anticipate that they that they'd screwed it up once, exactly like they did in 2008, causing a panic that ultimately helped pass the bill in itself. The bottom line, a year ago, we caught a weird bottom uh, as the market experienced a change in the guard with the COVID winners taking over as the new leaders. Now we're being dragged down by a similar leadership change. And while I know we'll bottom eventually, it might take a while before we get a crescendo this time, too. Let's go to Tony in Florida, please. Tony. Booyah, Jim. Yes, Tony, what's up? Long time and Action Alerts member. Oh, great. Thank Thank you for joining the club. Kramer. Right. For being the best teacher that I have ever had Uh, in my life. Well, that is my goal at this stage in my life. You're welcome. Thank you. You have empowered me to make sound and lucrative investment decisions. I thank you, sir. Uh, You're very kind, Tony. Thank you. My question is. I know you've been trimming some Honeywell and yes. Action Alerts. I own 100 shares of it. I'm up 50, 55 points. I don't want to trim it. Should I trim it or maybe go into Emerson? Well, look, I, no, no, Honeywell's better. Um, okay, this is a really interesting juncture for you because you're up a great deal, but it is a great American company. And if you're not a trader and you're not worried about a little, you know, about something that could pull the stock down, unlike we, you know, we did trim it for Action Alert, as you know, then I think you're fine. All we were trying to do is right size position. We have tremendous belief in the long term Honeywell, so I think you're fine. Uh, what I could tell you to sell 25, but I think you hold on to it. And thank you for being a member of ActionAlertsPlus.com. Let's go to Bob in New Jersey. Bob. Yes, sir, Jim. Greetings from Normandy Beach, New Jersey. A oh, man, that's right sir, next to Fordo. I'm sorry. Go ahead. Go ahead. Uh, some observations and then your opinion. Looking okay. at Zoom, that's what I'm interested in here, uh, for its positives. I mean, it's a worldwide phenomenon. I mean, kids in fourth grade know about Zoom. Yes. Might not know Microsoft. And number two, uh, the last quarter was a, a beat. Stock went up 40 points on that. Now we go to the negatives, right? You've got the rotation out of tech stock. Right. 
you've got the interest rate hitting 7.5%. Right. And you got the end of the lockdown, people saying, well, that's the end of Zoom because we're going back to work. Right. So that's what I'm observing. Hopefully you can give us some opinion. And what is your I struggle over Zoom, Bob. I really do. I think it is a great company. I keep trying to say what level should people buy it? If you like Zoom like I do, I am actually okay with putting some on here. But then maybe wait till it's actually cut in half. And then you buy more. It is a great company, but it is very out of favor, and I don't want you to put on a full position right here. All right, a year ago, all the selling finally came to a head. This was the crescendo. Today, we aren't quite there yet. We're being dragged down by a similar leadership change, although I don't want to regard what's happening today as anything like this 11,000 Dow point fall. On Mad Money tonight, you've heard about her investments in Tesla. Sure. But did you know that Kathy Wood's ARK Investments is also a major shareholder in an under-the-radar play that I know you're going to be interested in? I'm going fishing for answers with the CEO of AquaBounty, which you've asked me about. Find out more about the potential. Then the pandemic has had a major impact on retail. And I'm helping investors navigate the ever-changing tides of the sectors. Don't miss my today's edition of Off the Charts. You're going to love it. Plus... I'm going off the tape with Eclipse Venture Capital. Hear more about its latest investments and the decision to go SPAC, not IPO. So stick with Crane. Don't miss a second of Mad Money. Follow at Jim Kramer on Twitter. Have a question? Tweet Kramer. Hashtag Mad Tweets. Send Jim an email to madmoney at CNBC.com or give us a call. At 1-800-743-CNBC. Miss something? Head to madmoney.cnbc.com. Looking for a rewarding, life-changing opportunity that enhances the lives of children in your community? With almost 50 years of experience, Huntington Learning Center is the nation's leading K-12 tutoring and test prep franchise. Dedicated to shaping brighter futures for our students and franchisees. Huntington is the top revenue-producing supplemental education franchise in the U.S., An outproven system is the key to success for you and your students. The Huntington Advantage includes low startup cost, turnkey systems, dedicated support teams, national and local marketing support, and multiple revenue streams to help you build a life-enriching and profitable business. No education experience needed. In today's environment, the need for tutoring has never been greater. When you become part of Huntington Learning Center, you're filling an urgent need in the growing $5 billion supplemental education industry. To learn more, Visit HuntingtonFranchise.com. Make a meaningful difference. Pursue your dreams of business ownership and be a positive force in your community. Don't wait. Visit HuntingtonFranchise.com today. Is it safe to start speculating again after a real tough day? The last couple of months have been brutal for the most speculative stocks in the market, the ones that trade based on their potential long-term prospects, not how they're doing right now. Take Aquabounty Technologies, a company that spent ages trying to give the world genetically enhanced salmon. Yes, Atlantic salmon. They finally got FDA approval in 2015, but then they had to build this infrastructure for a huge salmon farm out in Indiana. Last year, Aquabounty had a gigantic run as the company prepared for its first genetically modified salmon harvest. And then the stock got an extra boost when it was scooped up by one of Kathy Wood's ARK Invest ETFs, by the way. ARK now owns 12% of the company, and we know Kathy Wood is a legendary investor who found Tesla very early on. Now, 
Uh, Aquabounty is still an incredibly early stage company with no earnings, minimal sales, which is why the stock's been hammered over the last two months, down from $12 and change at its January highs to less than $8 today. I know that someone, we got a call on the lightning round about it, so we got to learn more. Does seem intriguing. Let's check in with Sylvia Wolf. She's the president and CEO of Aquabounty Technologies. To learn more about our company and where it is headed. Ms. Wolf, welcome to Mad Money. Thanks, Jim. I'm so excited to be here. I'm a big fan of the show. Oh, thank you, Sylvia. I'm so glad you're here. Um, I want you to explain to people how Aqua Advantage salmon are better for the environment, uh, more for consumers, and actually offer a chance, because we're big believers in this, in, in the feed the world scenario. There isn't enough food. And we want good food. And every time we see a company that can do it, we want them on. So you've got the floor to talk about Aquabounty. Thanks, Jim. You know, this is a really exciting and historic moment for Aquabounty, and it's been almost 30 years in the making. I'll tell you what, we're nothing if not perseverant. You know, it's been a long road between the approval process and the political challenges, 25 years of testing. But the, the time to bring that innovation, that genetic engineering to market is now because it's, as you said, it's designed and engineered to address the challenges that we face now. And we think consumers are gonna go for it. You know, our fish are definitely the product for today. We're able to do more with less, and that's a benefit to consumers and investors. For the same investment, we produce 70% more product than conventional salmon in a land-based farm. And our fish are really efficient in the way that they, they process their feed. And so, we are, you know, by using less water and making sure that we're looking at renewable energy, we really think the time is now. Okay, well, let me ask you. When I read about it, I said to myself, why doesn't uh, a Kroger, uh, why doesn't a major uh, supermarket chain say, listen, we want to produce good fish. We know it's genetically modified, but we eat a lot of stuff that's GMO. I mean, I I do all the time. We know it's genetically modified, but more importantly, uh, these are great, clean fish, and the water's reusable. As you say, this is a much more environmental way, and I would think that you can put these in very uh, poor areas, let's call them that, like we had app harvest, but they're ideal for a supermarket chain. They are. And here's what I think um, we learned from the past. You know, the agricultural industry has, the reason we have affordable and accessible food is, is quite frankly because of GMOs, where we're really, really productive as a nation. And I think consumers kind of take that for granted. But they haven't done a good job of telling the story of why GMOs are good for consumers. And I think, you know, because we were so small and lived hand to mouth for so long, we really weren't able to tell our stories and, and combat some of the false um, statements made by the activists. And I think retailers react to that, right? They mm-hmm. want to protect their reputation. Um, so now what we ask is let us tell you the story. Let us explain to you that, you know, it's controlled environment ag. We raise these fish in a safe, protected, sustainable environment. You know, that's really, really critical. And I think when we begin to tell the whole story of Aquabounty, those retailers are going to take a second look because, as you said, we've got a population to feed and we've got a planet to protect. 
And it is true. You could put these tanks, so to speak, in Appalachia. You could put them where there is uh, in uh, the breadbasket of California, which unfortunately is no is, is just a terrible poverty struck area. You can put them there. Right. I mean, it does. they can be put where you want them. Yeah, absolutely. We, what we need is access to quality and quantity of good water, good sources of energy. And we want it to be renewable. Um, and we want it really to be in the heartland. You know, right. part of our, our of what our, our purpose is, is really about rural rejuvenation. It's twofold. How do we take jobs and opportunity to rural America? And how do we locate our farms close to underserved communities right. so that we can bring a really healthy, nutritious protein at an affordable price to those consumers? One last question. Uh, did you know that Kathy Wood from ARC was buying the stock? Have you met her? Uh, because she does like disruptive technologies. She does. And we've worked closely with one of um, her team. Um, and yes, we did know that ARC was making an investment, and we're really, really proud of that fact. Okay, because there is a very good video. If people want to learn about this, you give more information than most. And there's a video that if you just Google ARC, Kathy Wood and Aqua, you will get the video. Sylvia, it is great to have you on, and I think that this is a, a Feed the World story, and we are all about those. Really nice to meet Sylvia Wolf, the CEO of Aqua Bounty, young stage company. Thank you so much. Thanks, Jim. Right. Very speculative because it doesn't have the sales, but it is disruptive. And I want you to read about it. They disclose more than almost any young company I know. May have money's back after the break. Coming up, here comes Peter Cottontail hopping down Wall Street. Kramer is going off the charts to break down retail's Easter trades and which names investors should be putting in their basket. Is America's primary system working? Is the Electoral College still the best process for electing a president? Could a third-party candidate ever be successful? In a new season of You Might Be Right, former Tennessee governors Bill Haslam and Phil Bredesen gather the country's top experts to explore these issues and more as we approach the 2024 presidential election. Listen to You Might Be Right, a new podcast from the Baker School at the University of Tennessee, available now wherever you get your podcasts. Support for this program is provided by Chevron. Demand for energy is projected to continue rising in the future. To help keep up, Chevron is increasing their U.S. oil and gas production, and they're innovating to help do it responsibly across their operations, including their Gulf of Mexico facilities, which are some of the world's lowest carbon intensity operations, helping supply energy that's affordable, reliable, and ever cleaner. That's energy in progress. Learn more at chevron.com slash meeting demand. I keep telling you, this market has become a vicious battleground. Some people think that when oil gets crushed, as it did today, down $4, we could be on the cusp of a European-driven slowdown. Others think the economy is running too hot. It's become almost impossible to figure out which way this market may be leaning. It's all day to day. Now, you know I believe in the great reopening theme, and I prefer the industrials over the slowdown stocks, the opposite of today's action. And today's action was driven by interest rates, which plummeted. But I also know that the reopening rotation has to end eventually, which can make this a difficult market to navigate. So how do you play a powerful move that is an indeterminate expiration date at the same time that oil is collapsing and rates are suddenly going lower after seven straight weeks of levitation? Oh, my. 
At cloud of moments like these, I like to take the judgment call out of the equation. Rather than trying to cobble together a thesis from my gut feelings, my broader assessment of the macroeconomic backdrop and my opinions on monetary policy, hey, how about we do this? How about we take a more quantitative, less emotional approach? Yep, tonight we're going off the charts with the help of Larry Williams. He's the legendary technician who's been trading stocks, futures, and commodities since I was a kid, though not quite since I was in cloth diapers. He's also written more than a dozen books and created a slew of technical indicators that we use all the time. He is the best there is. Ever since the pandemic got rolling, Williams has had a stunning track record for us. Last April, when the smart money was convinced that we were headed for a COVID-induced financial apocalypse, he came out with the boldest contrarian call I've ever seen, predicting that the economy would start rebounding in mid-May. And he totally nailed it. You think about a year ago, what an amazing call. Since then, Williams has given us a bunch of terrific seasonal trades using a similar methodology. He looks at the historical data and then figures out how long a given cycle is likely to last, assuming things play out like usual. It's a percentage game, which brings me to retail. Over the last few months, we've seen this bifurcation in the retail stocks. There's the non-essential chains that got hammered uh, by the pandemic. Uh, it, it, these are the ones, you know, that we kind of, oh, let's call them Kohl's. Let's call them Nordstrom, okay? And they've made incredible comebacks. Meanwhile, the essential retailers, which are the ones I talk about a lot more, they gave you some incredible outperformance last year, and they've now become laggards with their stocks that are well off their highs. Think Walmart. But if history is any guide, Williams is betting that a rising April tide will be able to lift all retail ships, including some that we're focused on, the ones that have been going down ever since the vaccine started rolling out, the essentials. Why? Because this whole group has a strong tendency to rally either right before or right after Easter, which falls on April 4th this year. That's the Sunday after next. Now, if Williams is right about this traditional Easter rally, then the once hot but now horrible essential retailers could get their mojo back. And these are household names, at least for the next couple of weeks. And you know what? I think the move may have already started. I want you to consider the daily chart of long my favorite and uh, owned by my uh, charitable trust, Costco. Right. The black line is the recent action. You know, and it's been pretty bad. The red line is the seasonal pattern going back for 34 years. Williams points out that if you bought Costco in the opening the day before Easter, okay, before the Easter holiday, and then you held it for two days before selling it into the next profitable opening, uh, you would have made money, get this, every year for the last 34 years. And the net profit was 43 points. This year, he says the optimal day to buy would be March 26. So now we're talking Friday. Some people would say it started already today. The market was pretty bad today. Let's use Friday. All right, now, how about one that everyone, I mean, people have given up on this one. I can't believe it. Let's talk about Amazon. Here's another fabulous retailer that's pulled back hard over the last month because it's widely perceived as a COVID winner and therefore a pandemic, uh, let's say, uh, cure loser. All right. A group of Wall Street, uh, Wall Street has really decided to kick this to the curb. Amazon's been able to rebound off its lows for the past couple of weeks, including a nice one today. Williams thinks it could get more lift thanks to the Easter rally. Again, this one's been terrible. And a lot of people have given up on Amazon saying, look, once we have the great reopening, this is the last stock they want to own. Do you know in the last 23 years since Amazon came public what this trade has done? Listen to this. According to Williams, if you bought this one on the opening of the first trading day after Easter, then held the stock for three days before selling to the next profitable opening, you would have made money every year for the last 23 years. Every year. He recommends using a 10% stop loss order to protect yourself. But historically, I mean, that stop loss has never kicked in. Every year. Wow. Of course, that's just one little trade. What's more important to Williams is the general direction of the seasonal pattern. So look at that red line. It bottoms 
in late March, then spends the next few months headed higher. Isn't it interesting that this is right when everyone has given up on Amazon that I know? Incredible. When it comes to Amazon, history shows that the stock tends to put on a nice run in the spring. Williams is betting that happens again this year. And the odds sure favorite. Okay, then there's Walmart. Oh, boy, this is hated, right? Another essential retailer with a top-notch management team that's seen its stock suffer. No, plummet. Plum, this is where they changed the wages and stuff. And I, th- I thought McMillan did the great thing. And, and, and people just hate it, okay? Uh, did Walmart really do anything wrong, though? Really? No. Its stock just became less enticing because so many of the marginal retailers are working here or were working until today. But like Amazon, Walmart looks like it's bottom a couple of weeks ago. It's just biding its time. More importantly, when you look at, we- at Williams' seasonal forecast, get this. Look at this. It's incredibly bullish right now. Historically, the best way to play the Easter trade with Walmart has been to buy the stock at the opening the day before Easter, then hold it for five days before selling it into the next up opening. Longer term, April tends to be a pretty good month for the stock. So for those who are just thinking that's too slick, you're doing fine. Now, if you really want to take a chance, you got to go with one of my favorites. And this is incredible. I want you to check out the daily chart of Shopify. You know, we just think this one's the greatest. The software company helps small, medium-sized businesses set up their own e-commerce operations. This thing has had a spectacular run last year because the pandemic forced everyone in retail to go either digital or go under. (laughs) However, Shopify, I didn't mean to laugh at that, but it's true. However, Shopify has fallen more than 300 points from its recent high. Uh, That's the rotation out of growth stocks into the uh, non-essentials. It's been horrible. Because Shopify only came public in 2015, there's not as much data for Williams to use to construct a seasonal forecast. But based on what we have, the seasonal pattern is pretty darn clear. Shopify tends to roar shortly after Easter, right? And I got to tell you, uh, with the stock continuing to run through April and into May, don't you have to try it, right? Look at that. Does that mean it's time to buy the essential retailers and e-commerce enablers here? Generalize. If Williams is right, I think you're getting a powerful trader. Will you look at that? That's Shopify. Can you imagine that thing comes back? What a beast. But if you're worried about the rotation, you might want to use a rally in the central retailers to bring the register. As much as I like these companies long term and don't want to trade them, I can't blame anyone for taking a profit. Here's the bottom line. In another huge contrarian call, and this is as big as it gets, as interpreted by the legendary Larry Williams, suggests that Costco, Amazon, Walmart, and even Shopify could have some nice runs going into Easter and perhaps the rest of April. Historically, that's been the pattern. So if you're looking to sell these stocks in a strength, you might get a better price if you wait a few weeks. But as for me, I thought this was amazing. I liked these stocks before, and I like them even more now. Let's go to Randy in Ohio, please. Randy. Yeah, booyah there, Jim. That's my first-time caller. Uh... Yeah, I, I, I bought a stock last year by accident. I went to get something else, and I told my broker what to get, and I ended up getting VF Corporation. It ain't really been doing that bad, but I don't really know hardly anything about it. Hey, don't worry. I once bought CBS instead of CVS, and I, I, I got crushed. Um, so yeah. let's see. Uh, VF Corp, I happen to like very much. They've done a lot of great things. It is the quintessential supplier to retail um, I have to tell you, I think you're fine longer term. It's a really well-run company, got a good yield. I know it's not like right now, down 10%, but I am never going to tell you that you should sell VF Corp here. It's too good a company. Let's go to Sam in Indiana. Sam. Hello, Jim. Five Below recently released their earnings. They beat both top and bottom lines, and they nearly doubled their earnings from last quarter. They also announced that they're planning to open more than 170 new stores in 2021, 
My question, Jim, is despite all this positive news, Wi-Fi below stock is down. Well, remember, the stock is up and it's just been a a total horse. I was going over this with Matthew Boss, whom you know is the fabulous retail analyst at J.P. Morgan. Someone had downgraded it the other day and we both said that's going to prove to be short-sighted. Any stock can have its ups and downs, but five below is a regional and a national chain, regional being from Philadelphia, and I think it's going to do good for four, five, six, seven, ten years. Don't trade five below. Buy more if it gets hit. All right, and I know this sounds very bullish, but everyone's suddenly very bearish, but five below is the right way to go. Now, I know it's, a con- it's contrarian, but the chart suggests, I just love that, that Costco, Amazon, Walmart, and Shopify, essential, 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 and then kind of wild, could have some nice runs. I like them before. I like them even more now that Larry Williams has shown us the way. Much more mad money yet, including my exclusive with Eclipse Venture Capital. Could there be opportunities for investors here? I'm going off the tape to learn about some of the more disruptive investments that are coming your way. Then we've been dealing with COVID for over a year. Why the heck don't we have a set of pandemic protocols by now? I'm giving you my take as we look at the post-COVID world, and i got to tell you, I'm a little steep. And all your calls rapid fire in tonight's edition of The Lightning Round. So stay with Kramer. All right, we got some work to do here. This market may have temporarily lost interest in fast-growing technology companies, but we can't take our eyes off of them because long-term they tend to be big winners. And that's why tonight I want to check in with a venture capital firm that invests in disruptive tech plays, Eclipse Ventures, because it is one of the hotter hands in Silicon Valley, and we love the disruptors. They've taken a bunch of their portfolio companies public. But the one I want to focus on right now is one that you probably know if you have you know, babies, and it's called Owlet Baby Care. That's a maker of connected nursery products, including a baby monitor in the form of a smart sock. Now, last month, we learned that Alit's merging with a SPAC, Sandbridge Acquisition, and that's SBG for you, home gamers. But because this market has been flooded with SPACs, many of which are now selling stock like mad after they've merged with their targets, this one's actually down since the announcement. Buying opportunity? Let's take a closer look with Lior Susan. He is the founding partner of Eclipse Ventures to get a better read on Alit and the rest of the industry. Mr. Susan, welcome to Mad Money. How's it going, Jim? Good to be here. Well, Lior, I've got to tell you, when I mentioned to people that I am going to have Alan on, everybody seems to have a great story about how Alan either saved a child they know or has made their life better or has taken into the 21st century. So can you describe how you found this company and how well it's doing? Um, awesome, Jim. I think I need to cut, uh, cut back my uh, marketing budget. Seems like you guys <laughs> cover it already. Uh, I mean, I think, you know, as a father, um, what is there is better than, you know, providing a full stack technology to make sure that our babies are fine. You know, babies cannot speak, not during pregnancy and not after they've been born. And the amazing part is actually technology closed the gap for us to deliver healthcare at home for those babies and the ability to give us, you know, just confidence around their safety. When they see, give us the tool that we need. And for sure, you know, when we want to get a couple of hours more of sleep. So, you know, it's Outlet is being founded uh, now nine years ago. Uh, we've been involved in the last six years and it's being a rocket ship. Uh, we grow the business to more than $110 million runway with only $48 million still today. Well, what's incredible is we just uh, literally just looked up 
uh, patients, uh, pa- you know, parents' statements about it, and it's like, save my daughter's life, save the life, over and over and over again. And it tends to be uh, things that would never be picked up by traditional baby monitors. Yeah, I mean, uh, you know, I think, Jim, uh, just to give you a sense, we're um, uh, measuring around 290,000 babies every night for 12 hours in the last six months. And that's what it's allowed us is to collect the largest data sets of babies in the world, build the machine learning models that know to predict when we actually see a risk for the baby. It can be drop of oxygen. It can be change of a temperature. And the problem is parents is on the other room sleeping and they actually don't know if the baby is doing well inside the crib. So we just want to give peace of mind for those parents. Now, I love that you have a, a, a page in your deck which says low-tech legacy companies and the lack of category leader force parents to utilize dozens of disparate products to care for their baby. I mean, it's absolutely true that you have a picture. There's just like 10 different devices that this subs for. I mean, this is just the disruptive event for people who have babies. Yeah, and, and you know, I think the amazing part is we are not new into this category. That category of baby monitoring is being around for like 30 years. I think what we are introducing that it's new is basically this notion of connected nursery. We want to bring the best computer visions from companies like Amazon. We want to build the best software from companies like Google. We want to bring like the best machine learning from companies like United Healthcare. That's all of the talents we're gathering in the last couple of years to provide an end-to-end connected nursery for the parents to make sure that their babies are doing well. All right, so Leo, when I read about this, I said, if this were an IPO, I think it would be incredibly hot. Now, why is Eclipse choosing this particular way to get the company public? Because I want to share Valid, but I would have expected that if it were an IPO, it would triple at the opening, and I, I couldn't recommend it. Yeah, you know, uh, uh, it's actually I'm taking the responsibility as the chairman of the company. We were in the traditional route uh, for an, I- an IPO. And when we met the team out of uh, Sainbridge and Pimco, and we just really like their idea and their power around brands as well. You know, the long hold only Pimco structure. And we just decided that it just might be a better outcome for us as a company. Uh, what I tell people is like, you know, forget about short sale, forget about like, like, you know, what the stock is doing today. Go fundamental is the company is growing fast in a massive time, in a high gross, mar- gross margin, with customers that love the product? If the answer is yes, we're going to do amazing. Well, I mean, I, I come back, I'll push back on this, and I'll just say most of the SPACs that I've seen do not have these, this level of fundamentals. And I think that you might get lumped in with SPACs that really are just people taking advantage of the situation. How do you get people to differentiate Alit from a lot of the stuff that may not turn out to work? Yeah, I, I feel the pain, as you can tell, uh, on a daily basis. Right. Uh, I goes back to, I know how to build tech companies. That's the kind of only thing I am doing decently in this life, besides being a parent. And I know the fundamentals in Outlet. Yes, I think we are getting caught in the whole noise of SPAC. The way to distinction ourselves from the rest of the madness, Jim, is by delivering outperformed financials, continue to serve our customers, continue to send research to the markets of sewage and SVT, and we, we just did an amazing announcement last week with uh, Cleveland Clinic. Continue to add amazing people to the board. We are going to make an announcement that 
I just hired Zane, the CEO of Levango, to join the boards. And I think we will do fine. We are long-term people. Uh, even with the short-term noise, uh, I believe we are going to absolutely outperform that stock. I have to agree with you. I think that this is the disruptive device for what parents need. And it is an ecosystem. It's not just a device. I'm selling it short by calling it just a device. Lior Susan, founding partner of Eclipse Venture Capital. I'm so glad you came on the show, sir. Thank you. Mad Money's back after the break. Just chill out. Chill man is in the house. Chill man be king. The chill man is in the house. He's happy. The lightning round is coming up when Mad Money returns. It is time. It's time for the lightning round. What is that, Rapper? you say to bye-bye? And then the lightning round is over. Are you ready? Skeet, Dad, turn the light round. Let's start with Justin in New York. Justin. Booyah, Jim. Booyah. Stock I'm calling about is merging this Thursday with one of the leading integrated payments platform, Casey. What's your take on BFT? Right, that's it. You know, this is one of the problems with SPACs. There are two of the Foley Trazamines, and this one is the one, this is the uh, two is the payments company, okay? And there's so many of these things that it's very difficult to keep track of, and I don't want you to. Uh, we're, we're done with that era, I think, where we got to, like, let these stocks come down. There's just, like, the fact that I have to think about, well, is this the Foley 1? Is this the Foley 2? I'm done with that. It's too darn hard for investors. I need to go to Brandon, New Jersey. Brandon. Hey, Jim. First time, long time. All right. Thanks for the call. Um, I want to say I'm enjoying this yellow sun on this red day. I wanted to talk about uh, Peloton. Uh, yeah, I've cool like Peloton. I, you know, they bought this. They bought a treadmill company. Uh, they have done acquisitions in order to diversify away from just their bike. It is indeed an, uh, a. It, it is an ecosystem. I'm not denying that, but it's had a big run, and I'm moving on. Let's go to Adrian in New York. Adrian. Hi, Jim. First of all, thank you so much for your great advices. I almost thank you. 50 grand. You are awesome. Thank you. Thank you so much. And also, congratulations for your 16 years uh, on CNBC. Oh, thank you very much. Thank you. And uh, I wish you all the best. I'm happy because you're back and you're healthy and happy. Oh, thank you. I'm sure trying. What's going on? Okay, so I'm looking to talk a little bit about the Tellurian, T-E-L-L. Ah, Sharif Suki. All right, so here's the deal with that. Talk about speculative. Look, I'm a believer in Sharif. He has said over and over again, everything he's ever told about natural gas is right. Uh, It's a terrific $2 spec. I I call it a call option. It's almost a lottery ticket. But I don't like betting against Sharif Suki. Let's go to Melissa in Florida. Melissa. Hi, Mr. Kramer. I'm calling you on the... Sitting on the beach in lovely Miami Beach, and I'm a big fan. Got the Thanks so man. much for taking my call. All right. <laughs> my question is simple. Is now the time to double down on Palantir? Well, I don't think this is the time to double down. I mean, it's a 23. It's a, you know, I really like to double down when something has come down significantly. Now, I think it is a great, great software company. Unfortunately, a lot of it's black box. We're not sure what they're doing. It's also been propped up because it is a, and I should, that's not fair term, but it's a Kathy Woodstock. And that's ARK Investments. But it's good. But no, you don't double down until something's come down significant enough to change your basis. Let's go to Winston in New Jersey. Winston. Booyah, Jimmy Chill. Yo, the chill man in the house. What's up? Yeah, what's going on with my G1 therapeutic kid? 
Man, you're in speculative zone there. Uh, no, look, uh, these are stocks that I never say no to anyone, but if provided they recognize that it is the speculative stock in their portfolio. It is not like owning a Merck. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is the conclusion of the Lightning Round. The Lightning Round is sponsored by TD Ameritrade. Coming up, how can the country take control of a pandemic recovery that may last longer than you think? Kramer gets real about how to beat COVID for the long run. Next. Take control of your financial future with the new madmoney.cnbc.com. Kramer's exclusive CEO interviews, full episodes, analysis, even your own soundboard. Plus special access to Mad Money 101 with rules and techniques to break down the market for all investors. The red flag that makes me drop a stock immediately is... It's everything you need right when you need it. The new madmoney.cnbc.com. It's been over a year, and we still don't have a real protocol for COVID-19 in this country. Now, I know we're doing a much better job of getting people vaccinated, but beyond that, our whole approach, I think it's nonsensical. Look, there was a time when I had high hopes for our ability to beat this thing. I figured we would have powerful drugs to help really sick people get out of the hospital faster. I thought we could put together an effective detection and quarantine system that would catch people with the virus even before they were symptomatic. Turns out, you know what, we have all these things, but they're only being done in the world of pro sports. For the rest of us, it is amateur hour. Take Regeneron, one of my faves. Last night, we learned they've got a cocktail for high-risk COVID patients that reduces the risk of hospitalization or death by 70% or more for every variant. The company might be able to produce a million doses by the end of the second quarter. And, you know, really, uh, nothing else can do this kind of job. It was big news. But now the question is, what will happen to it? Will this drug get lost in the maw of the National Institutes of Health? We've known this thing worked for a while. It's the one that gave President Trump when he got sick last fall. We don't know if it will see the light of day or maybe it's just going to end up in some vast federal stockpile. Then there's the vaccine itself. The other day I went to see a doctor, okay? I had to get my temperature taken even though I've already been vaccinated. Plus, temperature isn't even a good way to check for COVID. The whole thing is pointless security theater. My temperature was fine, but then they asked me if I'd been out of state. I told them that I had, but I also showed them my vaccination card. It meant nothing. I wasn't allowed in. This is insane. We got all these protocols in place, but they don't account for the fact that millions of us are now immune thanks to Moderna, Pfizer, or J&J. Don't get me started in the AstraZeneca. All right, then there's my restaurant, all right? I want to reopen. At this point, we know that people rarely get COVID from surfaces. That was like something that we really worried about initially. The virus turns into an aerosol and lingers in the air like cigarette smoke. What matters is the viral load in any given area. And the best way to hold that down is by keeping the windows open. I got windows, I'm going to open them. But then there's physical distancing. For a year, we've been told to stay six feet away from other people. Then on Friday, the CDC said that children going back to school only need three feet. So which is it? I followed the physical distancing guidance religiously, but the CDC's mixed message makes me feel like a chump. Of course, we could take temperatures at the restaurant before you come in, but that's a charade. Ideally, I'd like to put up a sign that says no shoes, no shirt, no vaccine, no service. Obvious solution. Unfortunately, it's not working for the cruise lines. They want to reopen and they've offered to ensure that everyone on board is vaccinated, both passengers and crew. But the CDC shot that down. It makes no sense. Meanwhile, anyone can walk into a casino and gamble in close proximity to other people. Vaccine or no vaccine. 
How about testing? We now have these cheap rapid tests that you can self-administer at home. They can be a total game changer, and I mean really cheap, pennies. If we sent them to everyone in America, the government could buy them. And then you can catch whether you have the virus before you become symptomatic, so you can stay home and avoid getting anyone else sick. That makes sense. But there's no nationwide testing strategy, even though these simple tests would only cost the government pennies to give us. Frankly, there is no rhyme or reason to any of it, the part, in part because the federal government and the states are rarely on the same page. And a lot of this stuff is decided at the state level and they don't have good health of people running the states. Sure, we're doing much better than Europe, but at this point, that's a pretty low bar. We have cheap tests that can keep people home before they become symptomatic. We just don't use them. We have a drug that can lower your risk of death or hospitalization by 70% or more, but our healthcare system botched the rollout. We have vaccines that can immunize you against the virus, but they don't let you skip the COVID screening process when you go to the doctor. I say enough already. It's time for the federal government to adjust to the new reality. Washington's done a terrific job of getting the vaccine rollout back on track, but the COVID safety regulations don't reflect that fact. We're playing by pre-vaccine rules in a post-vaccine world. What a waste. I like to say there's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise trying to find it just for you right here on Man Money. I'm Jim Cramer. See you tomorrow. The news with Shepard Smith starts now. Is America's primary system working? Is the Electoral College still the best process for electing a president? Could a third-party candidate ever be successful? In a new season of You Might Be Right, former Tennessee governors Bill Haslam and Phil Bredesen gather the country's top experts to explore these issues and more as we approach the 2024 presidential election. Listen to You Might Be Right, a new podcast from the Baker School at the University of Tennessee, available now wherever you get your podcasts.